everyone. This is Greg Harton. I'm the editorial page editor for the Northwest Arkansas Democrat Gazette. I am joined today by Rusty Turner, our editor, and uh, we also have the great opportunity to visit with Holly Woods of Springdale. She is a Democrat running for the District 88 seat in the House of Representatives, the Arkansas House of Representatives, not the one up in, in D.C. Um, she is a small business owner who operates a a pet sitting service and the personal assistance service. Um, and it's her first run for public office. So we welcome you to the interview and appreciate you being here. Thank you. And I'm going to hop in uh, and just make sure you know that I'm in Johnson. And ah. uh, we just talked about it. it's okay. People, yep. it's hard when you're in Johnson. People want to put you in Springdale or Fayetteville. That's right. Johnson is, is uh, where she lives. And uh, she told me that, and I uh, I made the mistake of saying Springdale, so I apologize for that. That's okay. Um, uh, tell us, speaking of geogra geography, tell us uh, District 88. Kind of tell us the lay of the land there so people can have an idea of what uh, whether they're in your district or not. Sure. Okay, so District 88 includes where I am here in Johnson, and I'm right off Main Street, close to um, Wright's Barbecue, and it goes south just a little bit and gathers uptown Fayetteville area, uh, north of Lake Fayetteville, and kind of close to the mall, and then it goes, I'm facing east, so we go east, and it goes towards 265 Electric Avenue, and then south of Sunset, so like Carly Road, and you head west, you know, if you head west south of Sunset, you get Carly Road, and it goes all the way west until you get over towards like the Blessings and 112. Um, even I think maybe it's either right against Tawny Town or a, a tiny bit of Tawny Town. I always forget over there. But and so I even get like Harbor Meadows area. Um, and that's kind of the northernmost area is uh, Harbor Meadows. Mostly okay. I'm south of Sunset. So it's kind of an east-west drag little piece. Okay. Um, well, uh, tell us uh, if you would just kind of uh, what your what your thought process was about getting into this race, um, uh, what was important to you uh, in seeking a, a seat in the House of Representatives, and uh, and what some of the issues are that uh, you feel like the, the people of the district uh, want somebody in, in Little Rock representing their interests. Sure, let's see. So, um, I, there, there, this has been a long process that has led to this. Um, beginning back when I went to Girl State, you know, in high school, I've always been interested in the political process. Uh, did I think that I would run back then? Maybe not, but I was always interested. I had a close family friend who was a state representative for several years, so I've always been involved uh, in politics, um, but not not as as deeply as I have since 2016. And, you know, in, uh, in 2015, I was diagnosed with breast cancer and I had a two-year-old daughter, my daughter, Elizabeth, and um, my partner, uh, her father at the time, he was working, but we still qualified for some of the Affordable Health Care Act came through around then. But let me tell you, it was, it was, it was difficult to navigate all that. And then I got breast cancer and, um, I would lose, I would lose insurance. I would, I would, for no reason, it was, it was very difficult. And I thought, man, I'm, 
I'm pretty good at navigating this and I have good reading skills and I'm pretty good at advocating for myself because I've been a type one diabetic since I was 15. You know, I know how to navigate the medical arena and I'm still struggling. What, you know, like what are other people encountering? And that made me, that kind of started the ball rolling and I started trying to advocate and share. And then um, I just thought that it could be better. I saw ways it could be better. I saw barriers that I thought shouldn't be there. And did I have all the answers? No, but I had some practical things that could have eased barriers. And then um, after I started working for a local nonprofit, I then was taking my experience and helping my my uh, participants with applying. And I saw it wasn't just me, it was all these other people. And, and I had been so lucky. I had community support, family support, you know, um, and I knew health professionals that helped me navigate things. I had social worker friends and here I was helping people and they had nobody, uh, you know, except for me. And, and I thought, how many, how many are our program not helping? How many are not getting any of this support? And they're just falling, you know, through the cracks. I hate to use that term, but they are, they're just, you know, and after I think 2016, the last election cycle, I just kind of got downhearted and decided that I, I had to do something. And so I started volunteering. I started going to meetings. I started talking to people, trying to figure out how I could help. And I realized that um, instead of supporting someone in, in their bid for a seat, uh, in district 88, they, they needed somebody. And I kept looking around and thinking, I'm, I'm going to help someone do this. And then I realized that if I wanted this change that I was, you know, here to support that maybe I was actually going to have to step up and be the one who was going to run for it and go for it. So that's kind of how I got to where I am now. So you mentioned healthcare is one of the primary drivers for, for why uh, you wanted to run. So talk to us a little bit about um, a legislator's role in helping solve some of the problems that you've encountered. Uh, what, what can you as a state legislator and what can the state legislature do to address some of those issues? Okay, well, I think one of the biggest things I bring to the table is personal experience with uh, different levels from Medicaid to the private option, to private insurance, I've had all of them. Um, I'm not just here for any one of those options. I, I think um, my experience means that I can, I can go down there and that I've, I went to a committee meeting. I was lucky I went and sat in on a committee meeting and listened. And there were some representatives at the table who had no idea that there were um, some really horrendous things happening with coverage for people that were losing it. Um, and it's a lot to go into and explain. I'm not going to go into all that, but I, I think it's like, you know, sometimes there is a gap between what a representative lives and experiences and what your average Arkansan might be living and experiencing. So I hope to be a voice of, of that experience, but then also because I've been there, I want to make sure that I'm constantly reaching out to my community members to make sure I'm continually in the know about what barriers they're facing. Because legislators can't fix it if they don't know. It's not always their fault, but if they don't hear the message, how can they make any changes? So I feel like that's kind of a, a double, a, 
a double benefit is that I've lived it, but not only that, but I, I feel deeply connected to my community here in Northwest Arkansas and that I'll stay connected and be able to continue to take down the needs of the Arkansans in District 88. So in campaigning, uh, even though limited by COVID-19, certainly, uh, uh, do you feel like you've uh, discovered some, some um, people within your district, some perspectives within your district that, uh, uh, that, that you didn't recognize before that you, that you would want to carry down to, uh, to Little Rock? Yes, and I have, and I definitely think uh, connecting with minority groups in my district is really important. I had hoped to build bridges and I've met some community members, um, but so much of that is building trust. And if you can't really meet people face to face and, and let them feel who you are as a person, you can't build that trust. So I did not get to make as many connections as I would have liked to with members in the um, Latinx and Marshallese community. Um, I have tried to, on social media and other other ways having conversations and having socially distant meetings with individuals who I have um, talked with who are willing to meet. Um, I think it's having those tough conversations with people who aren't living in the exact same realm as you are and so you but you can't just sit and hope it comes to you. You really do have to actively seek it um, because you just live in your comfort zone and you forget you you, you don't think about it. So um, definitely the minority community. And then also people who are kind of in the middle ground of, of this whole thing and feeling kind of torn with, do I feel left? Do I feel right? And, and what I'm finding is they're, they're wanting to connect with, not just with issues, but with the person. So uh, I, I think um, there are some people who I've talked to that don't agree with everything maybe that are my campaign platforms or all of my values, but we found common ground. And I think it was important to reach out and have some uncomfortable conversation or I don't want to say uncomfortable, but like, you know, reach out to people who don't just say I'm a Democrat. And, and, and that was really intimidating, but very rewarding to do. Give me a sense of, um, you know, talking about healthcare in a way, um, give me a sense of how you think the state has done with its response to COVID-19 and what, if you're elected, what, what kind of concerns you would take down to Little Rock uh, to, uh, as far as the response? Okay. So I do, this has been such a process and a learning process, the whole thing. Uh, and you look back and I think it's like, you know, high fear. And then there, there were different phases of kind of this rollout, both in how we as citizens reacted, how the media reacted, how the government reacts. It's, it's been a learning process. I, I do feel like initially we should have I think it would have been less harmful to be stronger in our response, like take the safe road, go ahead and overprotect, you know, ourselves. Um, because worst case scenario, we, we over the top take precautions and everyone's fine, you know, and, and then 
uh, versus not taking enough precautions. I, I did agree with the mask mandate. I, I kind of wished it had happened sooner. Um, and that was because I was talking with, I was talking with friends, I was talking with healthcare professional friends. And to me, it just made sense. Like uh, doctors wear masks to prevent spreading germs. So let's all just wear masks, you know, uh, temporarily. And uh, so I, I agree with some of it. I, I do think that if we want our small business owners, uh, being a small business owner myself, but also this community, especially Northwest Arkansas, I feel like the lifeblood of Northwest Arkansas sometimes is what makes our community special is some of our small businesses, our, our restaurants and our entertainers, um, you know, that just, just bring joy into our area. And if we don't take care of them, I think, and provide support, I'm, I'm, I'm worried about that. So I do think we need to be looking at, especially the, you know, bar, restaurant, service industry, um, because, and, and others that are impacted by this so much because their business is in person and can't be moved remote. Um, so that I would like to see work on. And I, um, I would like, I, if I was down there, I would definitely be working to figure out what we can do with small business owners and, uh, you know, the, the, the health aspect side of it, I think also could have, you know, I, I focused in communication when I was in school and I think we could have improved our rollout of how we were communicating with communities. Uh, we should have been, initially I saw nothing in more than just English later, I was seeing some of it. Um, I think we, we could have gotten the message out to probably our at-risk uh, communities better. We, we could have gotten that done in a, in a more effective or efficient way. So those okay. are just some, some of my thoughts. Sure, sure. Some of, some of the, um, uh, some lawmakers were uh, so distressed about um, what they considered to be overreach by the State Health Department and the governor's office uh, that they filed a lawsuit challenging the emergency uh, uh, declaration. Uh, that lawsuit has been dismissed, but what was your reaction to that as a, as a means of, of addressing legislative concerns in a, uh, to the executive branch in an emergency? Well, okay, so um, I'm very uh, open and honest, so I'll say that I'm not extremely familiar with all of the legislative process. Um, so I don't know what other methods a legislator would use to bring attention to a concern they had with the governor, right? So I'm not sure how I would have done it differently. I don't, I do not believe that a lawsuit to like, like just the way I was raised, going straight to suing someone because you disagree with them isn't, wasn't the answer I was raised to take as my first step. Um, so I, I would be interested to know if there were other avenues. Um, and hopefully I will, as, as a legislator, have a personal relationship with, with Governor Hutchinson, you know, and I would be able to reach out and raise my concerns without necessarily filing a lawsuit. Um, but again, I don't know what the other options were or if they did have other ways. So that's partly, you know, that's something that I hope to learn. Okay. Thank you. Um, the other issue we've been dealing with kind of all summer and, and part of the spring has been uh, COVID-19 and I'm sorry, not COVID-19, while we're dealing with COVID-19 is, is uh, race relations um, and, and the uh, 
uh, questions about law enforcement and how they do their job. Um, what do you feel like is the role of a state legislator uh, in responding to some of the comments, concerns, uh, voices that we've heard over the last several months related to uh, race relations? Well, I think, I think the first step is to listen and to definitely acknowledge um, because when people share their stories and their experiences, if you're not even willing to do the first step and listen to them, um, that's going to make everything worse. And I know some legislators don't read the emails or respond. And I'm not saying someone can respond to every single email personally. I, I can't imagine what that inbox is like, but you should be listening um, because you may not understand everything, but if you don't start there, then you can't, you can't do anything else. So definitely listening. And then again, like I was saying earlier, you can't just sit and expect people to come to you. You need to actively be seeking those relationships. I feel like I should already know the struggles because if I care about the people in my district, I'm going to be actively seeking relationships <coughs> excuse me, with them, and then I'll be learning about their concerns because I'll have built those relationships. Um, and so when it comes to race relations, uh, again, I think it's trust building. And then when people trust you, they will share their truths about what they're going through. So, um, and then once you know that, you, I feel like you have to, as a leader, um, take, take action and, and what that looks like. I'm, I'm not exactly sure, but, but you have to take action in some, you know, some manner to protect or advocate or, you know, make sure that you're bringing that voice to the table and bringing other interests to the table that aren't your own. It seems like the response of some lawmakers, uh, uh, has been to get behind uh, a hate crime uh, bill in the Arkansas legislature. Um, I, I don't, you know, throw my own opinion in here, I guess. I don't, I don't know that that's directly a response to some of the concerns, but that seems to be the response that uh, we've seen at least thus far. Um, what do you think about uh, the idea of hate crime legislation and, um, uh, and, and applying that within Arkansas. Now, is this legislating uh, uh, legislating ag against hate crimes? This no, it's uh, the proposal. Uh, apparently, there are several drafts kind of running around, but the proposal that has gotten the most um, publicity, I guess, has been from Senator Jim Hendren uh, and others who have um, uh, proposed enhanced penalties uh, for uh, crimes that uh, where a prosecutor could prove an element of, um, you know, hate or animus toward a particular group or, or uh, characteristic. Okay, so it is inc increasing penalties for yeah. someone if it's associated to, or if it's thought to be a hate crime. Right. right. Now, Arkansas is one of, I think, four states that doesn't have a hate crimes law. Yeah. So okay. this would be, yeah. Um, one, did you say one of four? I think so. 
I think, yeah, it's, it's, I think it's one of three, South Carolina and Wyoming are the other two. Yeah. Well, well, that sounds problematic to me. Um, I mean, Arkansas, unfortunately, we, we have a lot of work ahead of us. And I think this is one area where we need to step it up and make it clear and that, that we, we don't condone that in any way, shape or form. And if the way to do that is to get some, uh, get something written into legislation. I mean, that, uh, with what I just know from our discussion, I have heard about it, but I just don't know about it in depth. That, I mean, I think that's a good a good step because we should absolutely be um, condemning hate crimes in any way, shape or form. So that would be something I would support. Um, and and I do, there's so much talk now with the, with the police issues and, defunds, you know, and all these different options. And I'm hoping that this conversation is going to continue because um, I'm a fan of brainstorming and bringing people together. Um, I know that uh, problem solving is really works well whenever you have different people with different experiences, like the bigger the diversity you have, the, the better um, like a result you're going to have. And so I'm really hopeful that if, if people are having these conversations about um, alternatives and ways we can do things better, that those are going to, that I can be a part of turning those ideas into law. Here's how we're going to implement these ideas that come from the people themselves who have, you know, expressed that this is how they would feel supported, more protected, you know, um, and a hate crime bill sounds like that. that you never know because sometimes the, the, some of that stuff is tricky. It's called a hate crime bill, but then it's actually not. You know, sometimes sure. it's worded. Sure. So anyway, but yeah, no, I would support that. Okay, let's let, let's talk a minute about the three ballot initiatives that are that voters are going to uh, uh, decide on election day. One of them is uh, issue one. It takes a temporary half cent sales tax. There you go. That that's the one. So you know all about it. The temporary half-cent sales tax makes it permanent. Uh, money goes for roads and highways. There's a component of state and uh, of uh, county and, and city governments who get a share of it. So how well, are you going to vote on that and why? Well, this is my stack of research because <laughs> I've been reading uh, on social media and I've had several community leaders post and express like their endorsements and how they're voting. And the biggest one I'm seeing where people are torn is on issue one. And so I thought, well, I, I need to stop looking at their stuff. And so a friend shared with me that the county extension office had some really great voting information. So I went in there and printed it off so that I could read all about it. From, from my impression so far, um, it was that two and three were definite no's and one. One, I'm, I'm torn on. I've talked with someone who said they feel like um, even though they don't like how it's going to be written into the law that they think that we're going to need to do it in order to take care of that's the roads isn't it yes right and, and but then i had someone else say no absolutely not we need to um find a different way to do it so i'm gonna need to i'm someone who has to research so i just sent my kiddo to her dad's for the weekend so this is going to be catch-up so i can actually read this and become a more informed voter myself uh, before I can decide officially on that. Okay. You, you said issue two and three are definitely no's. Can you kind of walk us through your, 
you're thinking issue two is term limits, uh, making it instead of 16 year term limits, 12 so, and then a four year break. So uh, there, so what I'm hearing from people is that two and three were definitely you know, people who I trust. But sure. that's why after, after reading that and realizing that I was getting some conflicting advice from, from leadership that mm -hmm. I, uh, and, and normally I would research anyway. Um, but I was like, okay, I need to quit thinking someone's going to give me the answer and just put forth the effort to go research all that myself. Oh, okay. So I still need to look into it. Okay. Um, the term limits one, from what I had read, uh, it just um, kind of in general, I, I, I don't really agree with, with the term limit proposals. And then, I, but I haven't read enough to know the details of it. So I could, I could give you a better answer after I've gotten done with this stack of papers here, guys. Sorry. Okay, fair enough. Um, let's just touch uh, real quickly in our last few minutes uh, uh, on one more issue. The, uh, the, um, uh, for years now, there have, has been a debate about uh, the uh, protecting the watershed of the Buffalo National River. And uh, the Buffalo is, uh, uh, is precious to a lot of people in Northwest Arkansas. Yeah. And uh, um, I'm curious as to your thoughts. There's, there's, the governor has supported a, a moratorium, a permanent moratorium on uh, the placement of any future large-scale hog farms within the watershed of the Buffalo River. That moratorium has, not, uh, uh, has, has definitely met with resistance within the legislature. So I was curious as to what you thought might be the, uh, uh, if you felt like the state needed to try to step in and do anything within that watershed or, uh, and if so, uh, you know, do you have some thoughts on, on what the, what the concerns need to be as, as the legislature dives into that? When you say step in and do something with the watershed, you mean uh, something different than what's already been done with the moratorium? Yeah, to, to basically protect the watershed, to protect uh, uh, from, um, you know, the big issue with the hog farm was people felt like, um, and it's open for debate as to whether uh, anybody ever proved it, but certainly there were concerns that a hog farm within the watershed was not uh, conducive to a to protecting the the national river and uh, and uh, the moratorium is what the governor uh, had uh, thrown out there as a possible solution for the nation's first national river and so uh, there are certainly people who have are on both sides of that issue that feel strongly about it uh, and just curious if you well if you, uh, looked into that so um my initial response when all this was going on and they had were holding up signs on campus and uh protect the buffalo river um was just to say 100 percent yes protect 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 and i and i i still feel that way but i'm someone who always tries to kind of play devil's advocate and listen to both sides i'm also from Prairie grove arkansas and very agricultural town and I luckily still have friends who will uh, tap me on the shoulder and say, hey, Holly, I have some information for you from a farmer's perspective. And they'll share with me uh, important information that maybe I wouldn't have seen because I'm not a farmer myself. And, and so I really was interested in that issue because the other side was saying we followed every single safety guideline. We've met all the requirements. We know that what we're putting into the river, uh, you know, is, is at appropriate level. You know, the other side was like, absolutely not. You're 
here is data saying that you're not. That is one of those things where uh, if I was in office, I would have had to delve into deep because when you have conflicting data and information, that's when it gets really hard to make just a black or white call. So I would have liked to have known more um, because I do think we need to take care of our farmers and Arkansas agricultural is, is, is key to our state. But if we don't take care of that river, it's also important. It's a natural treasure, you know. Um, so, you know, tourism, everything for Arkansas economy. So I would, I, uh, my, my gut instinct is to say, again, I'd rather play it safe and make sure that that river, the inhabitants of the river, and everything associated with the, you know, ecotourism. And, I mean, just everything going on there is preserved. And, um, but, but I also know that farm has been there for generations and was in, so, so I, I, I would have needed to have spent, I, if I could have visited the farm, I would have done, if I was in office, I would have really needed to have researched that, probably more hands-on, more than just a, this was however many years ago when it all, started you know um but i think it's important to be willing to listen to all sides even if my my inclination is to just say protect the river um and to listen to those farmers too so so i i would um i would be interested in protecting the river and taking measures to protect it now whether or not that means absolutely no hog farms ever i'm not sure if that's the answer i'd have to i'd have to research it Okay, um, we do just have a, a minute or so left. Uh, so uh, if there's anything we haven't asked you about that you feel like is important for you to communicate to the voters of, of your district and um, uh, any, any thoughts about the, the, the race and, and how they can, um, you hope they make the decision uh, obviously for you, but, but why they might wanna do that. Um, just uh, anything we haven't asked you about. Sure. Uh well, I will, I wouldn't be doing my job if I didn't say that I hope that you will vote for me. Um, I hope that listening to me has proven that uh, I'm, I'm someone who's always going to listen and, and come to the table and be willing to sit down and have conversations, even the difficult ones. And that's, that's important to me. Uh, and I'm also available. You can get me at hollyforarkansas.com and my first name is H-A-W-L-E-Y. So it's hollyforarkansas.com. You can, you could volunteer, you can support me, or you could ask me any question that you had here and I'd be happy to listen and have a, um, a copy or a, a phone call, whatever you prefer. Um, I want to be um, available and I want to form connections with, with my people in, in District 88. So that's really, I think, the most important thing is for them to know that I'm, I'm here and ready to go to work. All right, Rusty, anything else on your mind? No, no, uh, just say thank you for spending some time with us today. Thank you very much. Well, thank you guys for inviting me and for being so patient and trying to work around virtual school and get into that. I appreciate it. All right, well, we appreciate your time very much and take care of yourself. Thank you.